0: So you saw that 85% of pastors or churches in the world are led by pastors with no formal theological training, no access to it. And so we are going with that organization. Training Leaders International is the name of the organization, and they exist for the 85%. Simply put, we exist for the 85%. And so my role, and my wife will be by my side, is we're going to be in Hanoi. Hanoi is the capital of Vietnam. And I will be be teaching at uh, Hanoi Bible College. The church in Vietnam is going uh, crazy. It's it's explosive. For example, in Hanoi, um, in the northern part of Vietnam, when the war ended in 75, there were fewer than 30 churches. Today, there are over 1,000 churches. And 50% of these churches have no pastors. So you got raise up pastors, train them, equip them. And then the pastors that do exist, that do serve, they do not have access to theological training. And so in 2013, the government allowed for a single school to open, which is Hanoi Bible College. And so that was less than 10 years ago, fewer than 10 years ago. So I have the privilege, and my wife and I have the privilege of going there to be a part of that work, to tr- raise up and equip these pastors for the churches that the Lord is, uh, is adding Uh, They are on a yearly basis, 30 to 40 40 churches are added every single year to northern Vietnam alone. And so we have that privilege. So please do pray for us as you remember us. I don't know when I'm going to be back here again. Uh, We've made a commitment for at least five years to be there. Um, And so we will see, but we're very excited about the work that is there. Well, let's turn our attention now to the Word of God this morning out of the book of Galatians. Uh, Tim read the text, and so I'll just read it, and then um, we'll get right to it. I mean, I will pray, (laughs) and then we'll get right to it. So let's pray together as you have your text open there. Father, we thank you so much, Lord, that you're doing an incredible work in the world. Lord Jesus, you said that I will build my church, and you are doing that until it is complete. And so we're so grateful, Lord, that our confidence is not in what we will do or can do, but it is what you will do. And that we get to come alongside the work that you're doing, Lord, and do our part. And so we are thankful. We're grateful for what you're doing in the world. We're thank- grateful for what you're doing in Vietnam, in particularly this morning. And we just ask that you would continue to do the work, Father, that only you can do. And help us to be As Christians in America, Lord, to come alongside our brothers and sisters and do what we can to help. And so thank you for this text this morning. We ask that you would open our eyes and ears that we may understand and see and understand this message and embrace this message, Lord. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. So I pray for your help. Help me to proclaim this faithfully for the edification and the building up of your people, of your church right here this morning. And it is in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Amen. Do we have Disney fans in this room? <laughs> okay. All right. Just a few. Okay. I expected more, but that's okay. I ah, That chicken. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to admit it, right? <laughs> it's okay. You know, it's okay to love Disney. Uh, I love Disney. My, my, my family loved Disney. We've been to Disney more than 50 times. Um, for two years, we had uh, uh, annual passes, and so that's how we accomplished that. But we would go every opportunity we get. And, uh, and if you go to Disney, you would know that after you buy your tickets, there are two ways to get to the gate. You can choose to go by water, the ferry, or you get to choose to go by land, which is the monorail. Okay? But you get to choose. If you go to the right, that's the monorail. And if you go to the left, that takes you to the ferry to get you. Both of these routes take you to the same place, take you to this magical gate. <laughs> that what awaits you is this wonderful land, okay, that is called Disney. Well... When it comes to salvation, the Bible makes it very clear that there is only one way to the Father. And yet the temptation for us as human beings is to think that there's more than one way, that there are several ways to eternity, there's several ways to eternal life, several ways to God, so on and so forth. The reality is the Bible makes it... Ex- exceedingly clear there's only one way to eternal life. Jesus puts it like this in John 14, where Thomas asked him, he says, Lord, we do not know where you are going. Okay, so Jesus said, I'm going to go to the Father. Thomas says, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus made it crystal clear that there's only one way to the Father, and no one goes to the Father except through me, because I am the way, the truth, and the life. In our text this morning, the Apostle Paul says it like this. He says to the Galatians in Galatia, he says, look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be at no advantage to you. In other words, if you were to choose circumcision, you will not gain anything from Christ. because Christ is the only way to the Father. Now, we're jumping in toward the end of the book, and so let me give you a little background about the book so that you understand it even further as we unpack what Paul is saying here. But the situation in Galatia is this. There were churches that this letter was written to. There was more than one church. There were several churches that was in the area called Galatia, which is modern-day Turkey today. And these churches exist as a result of Paul preaching the gospel in that area. Paul and his team went to Galatia, and they began preaching, and you have one church after another being birthed because of that preaching. And yet Paul was not able to stay for a long, long time. When he was there, he continued to unpack the gospel for them. But at one point, they had to leave the area, and soon enough, there were false teachers that came into the area and began to preach a different gospel. They began to twist the gospel. Not that they reject it, but they began to twist it. And so, let me read to you the beginning of that letter just to give you a flavor for what was going on. In chapter 1, verses 6, And seven, here is what Paul says when he wrote to them. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. So Paul said, Galatians, I am astonished that you are turning away. You are deserting the gospel. By deserting this gospel, you are deserting the one who called you, Christ himself. And so these false teachers, whoever they were, came along and began to distort the gospel that they had received from the beginning, from Paul's mouth himself, that they had embraced with all of our heart, and yet they're being drawn away. And Paul says, there's no two gospels, there's only one gospel. And I'm astonished that you're already turning away from that. And so as Paul unpacks this letter, he really has one message in mind. Do not turn away from that gospel, and he clarifies what that gospel is, And so we find ourselves toward the end of this letter in chapter 5. So here's the outline for us this morning to consider as we consider this together. I see two things in this text, in these verses. In verses 2 through 4, I see Paul's solemn warning to us. Verses 2 through 4, Paul is taking his time. And he's looking to them in the eye as if he's looking to you right now in the eye and gives you this solemn warning. And then verses 5 and 6, he gives the reason why he gives that warning. So that's my outline for us this morning. Paul's solemn warning in verses 2 through 4. And Paul's reason for this warning in verses 5 through 6. And then after we will make some applications for our lives. Today. So let's take a look at verses 2 through 4, which is Paul's solemn warning. The word solemn there means serious. It means firm. It means stern. It means grave warning. Okay, So let's re- read again verses 2 through 4. Paul says, Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. I want you to notice how he begins these verses. He says, look, I Paul, what he's saying is, this is really serious. This is serious. Because how Paul began this letter, he began this letter like this. He says, Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through men. But through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. Paul does not begin every of his letters that way. But this letter, letter it matters. It matters to them that they know that he is an apostle. But not just any apostle. An apostle that is appointed not by man. An apostle is appointed by God. And so he begins, Paul, an apostle, not from man nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God, the Father who raised him from the dead. In other words, what I'm saying to you here is not from any man. This is not the authority that some man gave me. This is the authority that I receive from God, and the message that I'm preaching to you is from God himself. That's how he began this letter because it's so crucial that they understand the message of this letter. And so now he comes back to that idea in our text and he says to them, look, I, Paul, remember who I am. Remember who Paul is, an apostle appointed by God himself to preach to you. The gospel of Jesus Christ. It's like this you have an illness, and you look all over the world to find the best expert, the best doctor for this particular illness. And you finally did your research and you found that doctor somewhere in the world. And so you spent all your money to go see that particular doctor because you know of all the doctors in the world, he or she is the best one there is. And then afterwards, the doctor takes you by the shoulders and he looks you right in the eye. And he says to you, I, doctor so and so, say to you, do you know what you're going to do next? You're all ears. Right? You're all ears. Whatever he is going to say to you next is so important that you will do everything you can to pay attention. Whatever he says you, you need to do, you do. Whatever he says you shouldn't do, you will not do. And that's what's happening here in our text. I, Paul, say to you, So what is the solemn warning that Paul is giving to the Galatians? Here's what he says. I say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. In other words, if you accept circumcision, all that a person is meant to benefit from the work of Jesus Christ will exclude you. Everything that Jesus had done in the life that he lived, in the fact that he went to the cross to take the punishment, the wrath of God, and everything that he purchased for you for all of eternity that you will get to experience because of Jesus Christ, none of that you will benefit from. If you accept circumcision... Paul says, Christ will be of no advantage to you. Now, I imagine that in this room, none of us is tempted to be circumcised. Right? In their context, that was the temptation. Some Jewish preacher came along and said, unless you submit yourself to circumcision, you're not going to be justified. By the way, the word justified is to be declared righteous before God. One day, you and I will have to stand before God, and God will declare you righteous or not righteous. That's what justified means. So these false teachers came along and said, unless you submit to circumcision, you will never hear those words from God. And we're not tempted to circumcision. But here's our temptation. The equivalent for us in in this case is If we lean on any human efforts to be justified rather than faith or in addition to faith, Jesus will be of no advantage to us. That's the equivalent to us today. If we lean on our own efforts to be declared righteous before God, Jesus will be of no advantage to us. In fact, this is so important that Paul had to repeat it in this text. He says this twice. He gives this warning twice because in the very next verse he says, I testify again to every man, okay? I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. It is so crucial that Paul had to say this twice in the same text. In fact, this is not the first time this happened. It happened before, earlier in the letter. So again, back in chapter 1, here's what Paul says back in chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. He says, but even if we or an angel from heaven... Should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. That's how strongly Paul feels about this. Because it's so significant that we understand what the gospel is and is not. He says, if we or an angel, even an angel from heaven should come and preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. And then in the very next verse, he says the same thing again. In verse 9, he says, we have said before. Now we say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him Be accursed. That's how significant this is. The world and many people would come and preach a different gospel that seemed to be such so similar. Just you, you twist it just a little, tweak it just a little bit, and it seems so similar to the gospel that we embrace. And it can be a huge mistake. And that's why Paul had to make it so clear to the Galatians. That's not the gospel that we preached. This gospel that you have embraced, Galatians, now that we've gone, we're gone from the area, whoever it is, who came to you just twisting it just a little bit. That's go- that gospel is not the gospel of Jesus Christ and so here in verse in our text he has to say it again he gives this warning two times which means it is exceedingly serious now what does he mean by verse three what does he mean I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he's obligated to keep the whole law What Paul means is if you choose to seek righteousness through the law or through human efforts, you are obligated to keep the whole law and do so perfectly. If you seek to be justified before God through human efforts, even if it's an addition to faith, you're obligated to keep the whole law. A number of years ago, my family got an opportunity to go to the West for vacation. And one of the wonderful places that we got to visit was Yosemite Park, Yosemite National Park. It was a wonderful park. And if you go to Yosemite National Park, you would know, or you would see, a mountain called El Capitan. El Capitan, if you are a mountain climber, that is one of the summit. That's something you have got to climb. If you are a serious mountain climber, that is like one of the one wall, one mountain that you've got to climb. That mountain is 3,000 feet high. The world's tallest building is the uh, the Burj Khalifa in Dubai. And that mountain, that wall, is higher than the world's tallest building. In fact, if you were to climb the world's tallest building to the very top, you still have about 28 floors to go compared to El Capitan. Many, many people want to climb that wall, and many have died doing so. But a man by the name of Alex Honnold is a very unique man. Alex climbed that wall in 2017 without any ropes. Just his bare hands bare hands, and a bag of chalk. He was the first to climb that wall. And in order to prepare for that climb, he had to climb it again and again with ropes so that everywhere he goes, where every part of the wall, he knows where he has to put his foot, his right foot, and where he has to put his left foot, and where he has to put his right hand, and where he has to put his left hand. Every part of that wall, he knows where he put, has to put everything. And sometimes he has to twist his body in order to continue that climb. So if you imagine there is no room for errors whatsoever. Right? A single mistake is the end of Alex. What Paul is saying to us here, if you submit yourself to try to gain your righteousness through human works, you've got to climb that wall perfectly. You cannot make a single mistake from the bottom to the top. A single mistake will be the end of you. So you can't do it. Don't even do it. I testify again, Paul says, to every man. This applies to women as well. If you choose righteousness through any part of the law, you're obligated to keep the whole law in order to be justified. And so in verse 4, he says, you are severed from Christ. You who will be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. So if you use the knife, if you choose to go under the knife, you've chosen to cut yourself off from Christ. That's how serious this is. You're severed from Christ. So to seek justification through the law or any human effort is to try to earn your justification. That's what it boils down to. If you seek to be justified before God through the law or any part of the law or any human effort is to try to earn your justification. But if you seek justification through faith, You are seeking it like you should seek it, which is a gift. It is God's grace. He offers it to us, to you, as a gift. And that's the only way that you will receive it. You come to Him as a gracious God who gives good gifts to men. So salvation is a gift by grace through faith. Either it is a gift or it is something you earn, but it cannot be both. So the gospel is the gospel of salvation as a gift from God. In the gospel, God gets all the glory. In the gospel, God gets all the praise for His grace. That's what makes the gospel so radically different than any human religions. Human religions would try to earn salvation, to earn favor with God, to earn righteousness through human efforts. But the gospel, God gets all the glory because it is a gift, it is His grace. Let me show you what he means in Ephesians two. In Ephesians two, beginning verse one, let me read to you how he unpacks it to the Ephesians. Paul says, beginning verse one in chapter two, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. That applies to every one of us here. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked through the course of this world following the prince of the power of the air the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind but god being rich in mercy that's that's a term that's an Grace, God's grace, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us. Again, God's grace, mm-hmm. even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Amen. So it is God, His mercy, His great love, He made us alive together with Christ, all because of his grace. And that's why Paul, he says at the end of verse 5, by grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that, here's why God did what he did Here's verse 7, so that in the coming ages he might show you or might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. You were saved because of God's grace in order that he will show you immeasurable grace in the days to come. See how that works? From grace, grace is from beginning to all of eternity. God saved you through grace in order to show you more grace for all of eternity. Immeasurable grace, He's going to show you. And then, verse, verse 8, He says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. So, this is not your own doing, brothers and sisters. So, don't start doing. Don't start acting as if it's your own doing and adding to the finished work of Jesus Christ. Verse 9, Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So when it comes to justification to be declared righteous, it's all the work of God. It is a gift. It is His grace. And so when the Galatians were tempted and really they were buying into that, not everybody in the Galatian churches, as far as we can tell from this book, bought into that idea, but many of them did. They bought into the idea that faith is not enough. They've got to add their own efforts into it in order to complete the work. Otherwise, they would not be declared righteous before God. So Paul had to address that really seriously. That is not the gospel. And so that's why it takes us to part two, which is the reason why Paul gave that warning. We see that in verses five and six. This is the warning, the reason why he gave that such solemn warning. This is the reason why it was necessary. Verses five and six, four, in other words, This is why the reason for what he just said, for through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly waiting or wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision count for anything but only faith working through love. See, his emphasis here, verses 5, it's about faith. Verses 6, it's about faith. That's why I'm warning you about this. If you add circumcision, it's no longer about faith. It's about your own efforts. It's about faith. And that's the message he's been telling them throughout this letter. Let me read to you several of those. Chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. He says, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. And yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So even the Jews, even the Paul and Peter and those Jews that embrace the gospel, they know that you cannot be justified through the law. They have the law. They know what God says in the law and they know that you have to turn away. So yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we, Jews, also have believed in Jesus Christ, because if that's what it takes to be justified, we have believed in order to be justified by faith in Jesus Christ, and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, No one will be justified. So Paul and other Jews with him, Peter included, the apostles included, there came a point when they heard the gospel and they understood the gospel, they realized that, wait a minute, the law is not the key to our justification. We've got to turn away from the law. We've got to turn to faith in Jesus Christ because that's the only way we would be justified. So that's one passage. It's all about faith. Another one. Chapter 3, verses 23 and 26. Now, before faith came, faith in Jesus Christ, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now the faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. That is the law. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. That's what makes you sons of God. It is because of your faith. And so, in verse 9 of chapter 3, he says, Those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. You see, brothers and sisters, faith is the key. Faith in Jesus Christ is what would justify you before God. If you want to hear those wonderful words, you are righteous. Faith is the key. Don't try to add anything to it. These people were tempted to add circumcision. You and I are tempted to add our own level of obedience. Obedience has a place, which I will unpack in a moment. But it is not the grounds for our justification. It is a result of our justification. Because we are justified. Amen? Amen? We walk in obedience. And joyfully so. Don't get that mixed up. Paul gives us, in fact, how that works here. He says, at the end, he says, faith, only faith working through love. See that? So faith is not just an agreement to some facts. Faith is not just agreeing that Jesus is the Son of God. The the, the, the demons believe that. They know that too well. Faith is not just believing that Jesus came down from heaven. It's not just knowing or agreeing that he's the Savior of the world or that he will come back again to judge. It's not just agreeing to those realities, but the kind of faith that saves bear fruit. Because he said it is... In Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. The word working there is the word to bring about, to produce, to cause to be. And so if you have the faith that is required, you're going to bear fruit of love. You're going to bear fruit of love. It produces lives of love in the people who have it. That's the kind of faith. Love for God, love for people. In fact, he un- unpacks it in a, few, a few verses later. He says, for you will call, verse 13, for you were called to freedom, brothers, free from the law. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. So it is faith that justifies you. Faith frees you from the requirements of the law. But do not use this freedom for the flesh, for sinful things. Use it for love for others. So this faith bear fruit and you actually see it. In fact the Apostle John puts it like this. He makes a very clear connection between love and faith. People who faith have faith that justifies them and the love that they will have. He makes that very clear connection. In first John he says that like this. First John four verses seven and eight he says, Beloved let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. If you are born again, if you have this faith, Christ, the Spirit of God, lives in you. And if the Spirit of God lives in you, you know what? You're going to love because God is love. You're going to love righteousness. You're going to love His people. You're going to have compassion for the lost. The Spirit of God living in you because the Spirit of God, God is love, it's going to manifest itself in your life. So, faith working through love. So the key, again, the whole point, he's going to make applications after that, but we're not going to get there. The The hope, the, the key to this text is if you turn away from receiving justification through faith in Jesus Christ, if you add anything to that, Christ will be of no advantage to you. Because you would have to do this. The gospel is receiving it from Christ. God as a gift but if you attempt to add anything you have to do this you're going in the opposite direction and all they were tempted to do was adding circumcision so let me make some applications as we close how do you know if you are under the law I know it's very difficult the gospel is so amazing that is so hard to believe at times. Really, faith in Jesus Christ is what I need? I don't have to do anything. It's just profound. It's just mind-blowing. And so we all struggle with it at times. I know I struggle with it for, for I think for a number of years to really understand the gospel. So, how do you know if you're under the law? Let me give you some signs and then I'll tell you how to deal with it. Sign number one, you are not sure about your salvation because of your level of obedience. You're not sure. Your confidence fluctuates one day after another. It depends on how you feel, uh, how you did. Right? One day you feel like, man, I'm saved today. The next day, you say, I blew it. I'm not sure if I'm saved anymore. Your level of confidence fluctuates based upon your performance. You have that law mindset. Number two, if obedience to Jesus is burdensome to you, that is an indication that you have a law mindset. For the Christian, obedience is a joy. Let me give you verse 1 of chapter 5. Verse 1, Paul says, For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Okay? So if you feel like, if you feel like Obedience to Christ is burdensome. It is because it's tied to your justification in your mind. Jesus, on the other hand, says it like this in Matthew 11. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. By the way, he's not talking about day laborers there. When he talks about you who labor and are heavy laden. okay, He's talking about those who think that the law is what justifies them. That's how it feels. So he says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. The same word. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your soul. So this yoke that Jesus has is not burdensome. It is restful. Amen. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So if you find that obedience to Jesus Christ is burdensome to you, it is a sign that you are law Mindset, And then the third sign is, if you are proud or arrogant toward other sinners, that is another sign. If you're proud or arrogant toward other sinners, the example I would give is Luke 18. Let me read that to you, and then we'll tell you two things that you can address that. Jesus says this this parable he also says to the, the parable some verse 18 verse, um, chapter 18 beginning verse 9 he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous okay and treated others with contempt two men went up to the temple to pray one a pharisee and the other a tax collector Justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. These Pharisees, because they were law minded, saw themselves as better than others. That's why they were arrogant. Look at me. Look at my accomplishments. Look at what I'm able to do. I don't do this. I do do that. And that's what produces arrogance in their heart. So if you find that you are proud or arrogant toward other sinners, that is another sign that you are law-minded. So what do we do with that? Well, let me give you just two quick suggestions. Number one, Prayer is a major key. Pray for understanding the gospel. Like I said, the gospel is so radical, brothers and sisters. Don't think you know the gospel. The gospel is so radical. Pray for understanding. Pray for acceptance of the gospel. Pray that you would embrace it. Lord, help me. Help me understand it. Really? Faith in Jesus Christ is enough? Really? I don't, I don't have to do anything else? It blows me away. So pray. Secondly, meditate. See, this is God's Word. And if you meditate on God's word, it's going to bear fruit in your life. It will. This is God's truth. If you meditate on God's truth, you're going to see fruit in your life. So if this is true, if the gospel is faith is enough to justify you, if you keep meditating on it, it's going to bear fruit in your life. So pray and meditate. Father, the gospel is absolutely stunning. Lord, we're so prone to want to add our own deeds to what Jesus had done. In doing so, Lord, we're saying what Jesus has done is not enough. Lord, forgive us for such thoughts. Help us to believe the gospel. Help us to believe the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.